0: This episode of if That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Grace Brothers New Range, Sandy Kiss Disposable Hygienic Lips. Is your hot date at a loss? Just try Sandy Kiss and the toss.
1: Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free. I'm Brandon. And I'm Jeff, and this is That Does Suit Madam, a podcast about are you being served? Woohoo! What's hello, going unanimous? on? Hi, Jeff. Hello, hello, Brandon. Ah, oh, another week. Another week gone by. Uh, we just had our Labor Day holiday uh, in the states, which is the unofficial end of summer. Um, a, a summer no kids, one will miss.
0: I think I can speak for the unanimous.
1: A summer that no one will ever forget. <laughs> this is. Um, a lot of my friends who are parents or teachers or both. We're posting a lot of pictures of their uh, kids' first day at school today. Wasn't it sad? Um, And it was really sad because I feel like everybody had a meltdown.
0: Yeah, and you know, not just the kids. Like I I don't know, it's parents too. It's like what the whatever month, seventh, eighth, ninth. I don't know. It's um, I think it's all just grading on everybody, and I gotta say. A huge thank out, thanks to the unanimous from yours truly, that having this podcast is actually a lot of fun to record. I think you can hear it in Jeff and our and our voices when we do this every week, and. Um, when you folks like interact with us on Facebook and send us cool emails to the, or Captain Peacock hotline, it's really cool to have like interaction and like you folks like to listen to what we do. And, you know, frankly, even if we didn't have any listeners, Jeff, I would still want to make this podcast. Absolutely. But it's really cool when we get you guys to, uh, you ladies and guys to uh, interact. So thanks, thanks for listening, so.
1: Yes, thank you, Unanimous. We've had a lot of new listeners um, join us over the past week, and I don't oh know gosh. if it was because of your ashtray relic. I was going to say
0: that's like the pop- most popular thing on the internet.
1: I think so. I think you broke the internet this week with it. <laughs> yeah, we'd like to welcome Callum and Kathleen and Mike, Jessica, Kyle, Tammy, Robert, Tony, and Kenny. Thank you. You've all done very well. You've all well. done very, Thank very you well. For yes. Us.
0: And also, I want to give a special. shout. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already laughing about it.
1: You can't even get through the <laughs> sentence without cracking up.
0: Oh my god. Okay, so Greg in Colorado. That's how we signed his name. Greg Gregory in Colorado. That's an interesting last name, Mr. the in Colorado. In Colorado. In Colorado. Yeah. Um <laughs> so we had really we had like um uh we had Tammy and uh Jonathan also email some suggestions to the um to our Gmail account, um that does suit Madam with an E at Gmail. With their suggestions about the the Are You Being Served clue inspired game, right? So Oh wow, okay. Yeah. So we had some we have some people like contributing, so which is amazing. So we still need your content. So what we're doing, if you haven't heard, um there a bonus little episode we pushed out maybe a couple weeks ago. Um some really cool listeners um Ursula and her family, made a game in the like, 90s of Are You Being Served? But a Clue version of, of Are You Being Served. Um, and they, they sent it to us. I'm like, hey, you guys might like this, blah, blah, blah. We need the game pieces. And so I posted a thing out there saying, hey, if you're an artist, draw some game pieces like the weapons and the, 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 the killers and the rooms of Clue, right? So we got some suggestions, and the ask was if you can draw, you know, like doodle something, take a photo. We can make that into like a game piece just for fun, you know, not charging any money for it. And Gregory came up with some amazing ideas. So he said, all right, I'm, I can't draw. And I'm, Gregory, I'm, I'm holding you to it. You said you might be able to do, doodle something. So I checked check the inbox every hour ever since. Uh-huh. I have an alarm on my clock. I'll go check to see if Gregory's emailed those doodles. Nothing so far, Gregory. Anyway, um, <laughs> he, not really. But he, has, um, he sent in some suggestions for the weapons. <laughs> so if you remember Clue, someone is killed with a weapon in some room. And the whole game is to figure out, you know, what's the weapon? Who
1: killed them? Right, so it's usually something like Colonel Mustard in the conservatory with the candlestick.
0: Exactly, so like the candlestick, what, the, the thing of rope. The
1: rope, the lead pipe. The
0: revolver, right. you know, I'm like, okay, those are cool. But what Greg has done, he came up with, are you being served specific weapons? And these are so freaking good. So I think Gregory has just laid down the gauntlet or whatever the phrase is, like set the standard. So y'all are going to have to like, Try to see if you can beat this. Okay, are you ready for the first one, Jeff? Jeff? Go for it. The first one that Greg suggested for the weapon. Now, in this Are You Being Served version of Clue, someone has killed old Mr. Grace. (gasps) So this is the weapon that would have done it. Number one is um, he is blown up by the pussy boots display. (laughs) 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 So stupid. Oh my god. Um <laughs> and I can totally see because we literally see that in the episode. Yeah. Um <laughs> number two, he's poisoned by Mr. Rumbold's meringues that Mrs. Slocum eats.
1: Oh. You know, Lou, when she, Lou. She, Lou. The, I'm just, Lou, just trying Lou, to see Lucas. Lou, I need to go to the <laughs> Lou. Yeah. Okay.
0: Amazing. So, you know, maybe someone gave him some poisoned meringues. Um, the third <laughs> The third one, he's stabbed to death with, and now I have to do it the way Greg writes it, <laughs> stabbed to death with the, in all caps, KEY TO THE EXECUTIVE WASHROOM. <laughs> That's exactly how I read it too. Okay. Um, yep. So he stabbed with the keys to the executive washroom, which I think is my favorite. Um, And then the fourth one, last but not least, he could have been strangled with the senior salesperson's measuring tape. (laughs) So, you know, it looks innocent. You see it lying around, but it could be a murder weapon. That's great, Greg. Thank you so much for those uh, suggestions. Any other ideas, shoot them to us in an email. We're getting lots of great stuff. And if you want to draw some, like, characters or the rooms, you can go find our stuff on Facebook and the other the little mini bonus episode. So you'll see that
1: wherever you get your podcasts. So thank you, Greg. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple of ideas too. Oh, so how about everyone wears a mask and washes their hands and registers uh, and registers to vote Easy for you to say and remembers <laughs> that black lives matter.
0: Yes, I thought you were going to give us some more murder weapons, but I like, I like that <laughs> as well, Jeff. Well done. So, um, absolutely, I completely agree. Well done, Jeff, and well done, Unanimous, for registering to vote and keeping clean and Black Lives Matter. So, all right. So what are we here to talk about today, Mr. Jeffrey?
1: So today we are talking about Season 4, Episode 4, Fire Practice. Ooh. And this originally premiered on April 29th, 1976. Take us back. And that week in the news, there were actually two hijackings that week. One on Avianca, which is the Colombian national airline. Oh, damn. And then another on Turkish Airlines. And so it got me thinking that hijackings don't happen that much. Like, they were really common when I was a kid. But I feel like in the mid-90s, that's when they started to slow down. It wasn't even like the post 9-11 security Hmm, theater that we have going on yeah but I feel like there was a hijacking in the news at least once a month when I was very young
0: I don't know I mean I I don't really remember hijackings but of course I think because of my age I think 9-11 in in 2001 was so like such a pivotal thing um it's almost like my adult life began that day so it's hard for me to remember before that but um yeah, I mean it's a good thing they're certainly not happening a lot. I mean there's lots of other yeah. stuff happening in, in its place sadly, but Right. Yeah.
1: But that that not being the uh the weapon of choice. Yeah. So the, so this week
0: So that week was
1: um not a good week when this premiered. Well, in cheerier news, there was a solar eclipse that was visible from both the Mediterranean and Asia. Oh, okay. So that w- that was one of those rare instances that uh it, it's not uh visible all the time, so mm. There yeah, we go Interesting Bad if you're in solar, solar uh, panels But otherwise pretty, pretty cool
0: <laughs> <laughs> Stupid joke <laughs> So um, would you set the scene for us? What's going on? Fire practice I like it
1: So we start off with seeing Mr. Rumbold Arriving to his office And his phone is already ringing uh, It's young Mr. Grace announcing a surprise fire drill uh, Usually I guess they uh, announce it And they plan for it But he wants it to be a surprise to everyone Including Mr. Rumbold. So we don't know it's going to happen. So Mr. Rumboldt is on edge, waiting for a fire drill that's going to happen at some point, but he doesn't tell everyone else. I love right. how
0: Mr., when you see Mr. a young Mr. Grace, you see him kind of speaking into the phone, and he kind of doesn't really... He almost flubs his lines, but just underneath the line where they were like, "Ah, just keep going." It's not. It's not, You didn't flub it that bad. And he just looks really old, which we talked about in a couple other episodes ago. That he really wasn't that old. We think that he's actually just an actor, acting old, acting feeble. Yeah. yeah. Um. But I can't. Oh, at one point he's something like. He almost sounded like he was trying to sound like Mr. Humphreys to me. You know, huh. like the end of like his like when he said something, I can't remember what he said, though, but I think he kind of flubbed it up and like he could not make his voice go high. So it didn't work. But
1: huh. I didn't pick up on yeah. that. Yeah.
0: I like it whenever you yeah. see him, because I think someone else said once on the show that like people forget about him because he's never on. So whenever he's, you know, in this in the scene, it's like, oh, young Mr. Grace, we missed him. You know,
1: right. Love that guy. Oh. So back on, back on the floor, the customers still haven't arrived yet, uh, and Captain Peacock is taking the dust cloth off the center display unit, which is unusual for him because I thought that that kind of task would be beneath him. The floor walker certainly doesn't handle the merchandise.
0: He wasn't to touch that mucky, mucky desk or anything. Right. It's funny that, like, I don't know, maybe it's an old-fashioned thing, but, like, the idea of putting drop cloths down for the evening so that their stuff wouldn't get completely covered in filth, you know, overnight.
1: Was it really dusty back back then? I don't, I don't get it. Well, you know, London no? has always been severely polluted. You know, there was, you know, there's th- that traveler's joke is, you know, if it's Tuesday, it must be Belgium. Well, how do you know that you're in London? Well, you blow your nose and it's black, right? Because it's so polluted. It so that's probably, part frankly, of it. if we're <laughs> honest, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Mr. Hartman is putting the wigs on the mannequins, and one of them is riding a bicycle. So he starts ringing the bicycle bell, and <laughs> Rumbold comes darting out of his office. Fire! 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 And Peacock is confused. It, it's just the bicycle bell. It doesn't sound anything <laughs> like the fire alarm, yeah. right? So Mr. Rumbold asks, "Well, where is everyone?" And Mr. Lucas and Mr. Humphreys pop up from the, behind the counter. We're here, <laughs> uh, which is pretty it was uh, so funny. Cute. Uh, turns out that they were fixing, um, Mr. Humphreys drawers that had some gummy runners. <laughs> oh, he said, <laughs> which is, it
0: was very like cheeky. He said something like, Oh, Mr. Lucas was just helping with me, helping me with my gummy runners. Like, what does right. the hell does that mean? <laughs> Humphreys? Come on.
1: Oh gosh. So the store opening bell rings <laughs> and then Rumble starts screaming fire again. And Peacock's like, no, that's the, the opening bell. Um, where are the ladies? Well, I had given them permission to go down to the shoe department because there's a special sale on. So on cue, the lift doors open <laughs> and yeah. Miss Brahms and Miss Slocum wa- walk out wearing wedges, right, that they had just bought at the sale. And they're very difficult to walk in. Uh, however, Mr. Humphreys is wearing a pair and he can walk just fine. No, I've seen about. you so, in a pair
0: of heels, Jeff, and you carry it off beautifully. Let me just that, say-
1: that is fake news right there. <laughs> I, I have not worn a pair of heels in almost 20 years. Jeff and is one far time that too I butch, did, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> far too much. I, I do not make a pretty drag queen. Let's just put it like that. But his
0: legs, let me
1: tell you. <laughs> so... um Cuts you later in the day, and Mr. Humphreys is um, saying goodbye to a customer, and he says, well, the sleeves are going to ride up with wear. Don't worry about it. Well, Lucas reminds him, well, the problem was that the sleeves were too short. Oh, in that case, then they'll r- ride down with wear. <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene because
0: I noticed when he's, he said it, the, the first thing, that it will ride up with wear, the, the actor just sort of stands there and kind of, like, smiles, like, blankly and, like, waits for the other, someone else to say another line, and I thought, why is that? And now it's just Come to me Do you remember the episode In a, maybe a couple of uh, Seasons in the future Where there's a guy Who wears perfume Yes And he's kind of gay And he says And he like Sprays it around And it's kind He basically comes out In the episode I think right. that's The same actor
1: Right I don't know I think it is Ooh. Well knows? maybe at the tea break At the tea break We'll do a bit of research And figure maybe out
0: Maybe we'll see him in the t- In the canteen Enjoying his perfume.
1: You you should be so lucky. (laughs) Wish Um, I could afford that. So, Mr. Lucas is talking about his recent dry spell with women. Um, And he says, well, the other night I went to a Latin American dance class above the co-op. And Humphreys chimes in, well, did you get your divvy? Which I thought was pretty funny. I don't get that. So, okay. So, uh, the co-op, the idea of a cooperative supermarket is you have to work your shift and... Uh, in order to be able to, well, back then you had to work your shift in order to be able to shop there. Right. It was something that was like, you know, uh, neighborhood community shared. So when you got your, um, your share of the food for that week, that would be called your divvy. Oh. And so like your, your division, your division. So Mr. Lu, you know, Mr., did Mr. Lucas get his share of the women that were available? Did you get? Your oh, Divi?
0: very okay. cheeky.
1: Uh, one of them <laughs> reminded him of Carmen Miranda, but not Carmen Miranda then, Carmen Miranda now. And I was trying to remember if Carmen Miranda was one of those women who did not age so well, uh, but she passed away at age 46 in 1955. So the joke is she looks like a corpse that's been dead for oh, 20 God. years. Yeah. Uh, for those of you that might not remember, if you picture um, if you picture a Brazilian dancer wearing a hat made of fruit... That was popular in the 40s and 50s That's Carmen Miranda It's funny how like They always reference stuff in the 50s Did you notice?
0: Because like Carmen Miranda died What, 20 years before this episode aired Right And remember we talked about the, the, The White Hunter the episode that we're like, oh look, it's the White Hunter, and then I researched and figured out what it was. There's a lot of references to the '50s, which also makes me think that the the writers and the the production crew really anticipated the audience to be right. people in their '30s and '40s who would remember stuff from 20 years ago.
1: Who would remember the '50s? Yeah, yeah. funny. Mr. Lucas had also gone to the Garden of Alla Disco, where they had an ultraviolet light. And unfortunately, the last time that Mr. Humphreys went to a disco with an UV light, it showed off all his jockey shorts, which was the thought of that is pretty funny. I, I right? don't
0: understand why he says all of my jockey shorts. Like he's wearing like four or five different pairs. Or I guess he goes every we, every day of the week and each. OK, I just I just figured it no, out. No,
1: it, it shows the entire out, you know, jo- you see the entire outline of the jockey. I shirt.
0: love that he says something like. I didn't know which way to look, mind
1: you. Everyone else did. <laughs> everyone else did. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Pretty funny. Yeah. So uh, Harmon is still around, and he's putting—he's um, still putting wigs on the mannequins, and he ends up putting one on Rumbled to which Mr. Humphreys exclaims, oh, it's my grandmother to a T. Hysterical. I love it. Right? The fact that his grandmother looks like Mr. Rumble, right? <laughs> Poor Mr. Rumble. So um, the lift doors open and Mr. Granger comes in and then following behind him is a whole bunch of Middle Eastern people. Like there's about a dozen Middle Eastern people that come out of the lifts, yeah. right? Um, so these people are dressed in... Uh, let's say, stereotypical costume, right? Yeah, it doesn't um, seem like
0: regular clothes. It, it comes across as, like, costumes.
1: Right. It, it, comes, it does, definitely comes across as costumes. Yeah. And if you know anything about Middle Eastern culture, it's very costumey for here this reason, right? So the men are all wearing kufiya, which is that red-checked scarf uh, that they wear on their head. Okay. And that is very typical of Palestine.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking Yasser Arifat for some reason, didn't he? He exactly. wore a black and white one, yeah.
1: He wore a black and white one, yeah. right. Um, but they're also wearing um, paub, or kamish, which is that tunic that almost reaches your ankle with the pants underneath. Okay. And that is something that is very typical of the Arabian Peninsula. So they're kind of mixing the um, Completely the different places, here. yeah. Right. When you go over to what the women are wearing... Uh, they're wearing a chador, which is a cloak that ties around the neck, and that is very typical of Iran. Okay. But they're also wearing niqab, which is the veil that covers most of the face that you tie on. So you can see you've got the, the hijab that covers the head, and then you've got the niqab that covers the nose and the mouth that you tie on. Okay. And that's also very uh, typical of the Arabian Peninsula. So they're mixing and matching um, costumes here for what's going to read Middle Eastern.
0: So I guess an analogy to that is if you, I don't know, let's just mix it up. So if you had uh, a TV show in the late 70s in China and they were depicting Europeans, they would have, I don't know, wooden shoes from Holland, um, a bowler hat from England, and Lederhosen from Germany on the same person.
1: That's a really great analogy. Yeah. Thank
0: you. I, I put a lot of work into that in my brain. But yeah, it's just yeah. like they're it's, it's sloppy and they're kind of mixing it together and they're like, oh, well, they're all like brown from this part of the world, so this is good enough, you right? But right. today, kind of what we always go back to is it feels really insensitive and like it's reducing someone down to like an entire culture. Well, it's many cultures, of course, but like a specific part of the world down to they all look kind of the same and they're all kind of Muslim and Although completely different types of, of Islam and stuff, so it's it's it's
1: problematic.
0: Right. Yeah, like we always talk right.
1: about. Right. It's it's kind of like if you were to uh, if you were to dress someone in a serape and say they were from Cuba when serape is a Mexican garment, right? Not to say that these garments don't cross countries or cultures, but they're very typically associated with one country or one region in the Arab world, right?
0: Yeah, and I think it's another example of. 1976, just, I mean, it's easy to say, well, they didn't know any better, which is, as we've talked about before, it's not an excuse, and we have to kind of put them in their place when they deserve it. But, you know, uh, I'm glad to know that this kind of thing certainly wouldn't happen these days.
1: Well, I wouldn't be too too sure about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was about to say. But, you know, in terms of them not knowing any better, that, that seems a little hard for me to swallow, because they obviously had a translator... Um, on site in order to be able to translate the dialogue between the emir and his spokesperson right so do you you know
0: the arabic that he's speaking is because i know you're really linguistic um jeff has cunning linguistics he's a cunning linguist is what i'm trying to say um was that actually accurate like arabic when they were speaking in the episode
1: from the, from the one year of Arabic that I took a million years ago and some of the words I could p- pick out, it does seem authentic. I don't know if they all had the same accent uh, yeah. or what part of the world it's from. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know enough to be able to pick that out. But for example, uh, when the emir wishes to speak to the chief man and Mr. Captain Peacock says, well, I'm the chief man. The spokesperson turns to him and says, had right? which I remember from class is this is, the, this is the chief man. A raiz is the word that they use for anyone who is in charge of something. Okay. So it's the principal of a school is like a, a boss raiz. or something. The the president of the United States is a raiz, right? So, huh. um, yeah. Um, all of the women fall at their knees and start kissing Peacock's hand.
0: Yeah, that felt really weird to me. And like, as a kid, I was like, okay, whatever. But now watching it today, I just thought like, this is really shit, you know? Like, yeah. It's 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 super misogynistic. It's reducing entire culture to this thing. And it probably perpetuated a lot of bad stereotypes for people who happen to be from one of these types, one of these parts of the country of the world, rather in in Britain, you know, gross.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's they they could have they could have done a lot worse with it, Right. They could have. That's true. They could have made uh, these characters all into the villains, or they could have had people starting to uvulate all over the place. Yeah, I hate that. Is... yeah so. Anyway, um, there Mrs. Slocum and Miss Brahms are trying to figure out what's going on while these women are at his feet. And Miss Brahms has it all figured out, right? So when Peacock was in the desert chasing Rummel, right? He put this Arab bird in the club, and now he's getting his comeuppance. Ah, what does that so mean, this, Mr. Jeff? So this is one of my favorite British terms. <laughs> so in the club or in the pudding club means knocked up, right? You're gotten pregnant out of wedlock.
0: Now, I remember, um, have we got to the episode where Mr. Granger admits that he got someone in the club? And then Ms. Brahm says, what club? And he says, the pudding club. And everyone the pudding laughs club. and stuff. That's in the future. We haven't episode. gotten there yet. That's I'd that's love coming to know, like, later. where does that phrase come from? The pudding club. Like, why would that reference someone being pregnant? I can't figure it out. It's a good one, right?
1: I don't quite know. I feel like I've let you all down, listeners. I haven't <gasps> done the research on oh, two those five things. five stars so far. going
0: down to four stars. By the way, thanks for the five star reviews. <laughs> I, 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 can, I can see
1: them fading, What's fading, fading. What's left right? of
0: them, anyway? Thanks a lot, Jeff. Um, so, yeah, so, uh, you know, I have to say, like, we do get a lot of people like, actually, you know, Fortnite was because it was 14 nights, people. So we do get really cool, unanimous folks who are like, actually, this is the answer you were asking about on the show.
1: So if you know, let us know. Yeah. So there we go. So Mr. Rumbled rushes in and identifies the, the potential customer as the emir of City Bendabi, um, which Peacock somehow all, uh, apparently knew because he dismisses him. But when Rumbold comes on the scene, all of the Middle Eastern people are, you know, they gasp, they step away, and they put their hand out to him. Yeah. Right? And so uh, Peacock lets them know that something about Mr. Rumbold spooked him, and they're trying to ward off the evil eye. Well, he doesn't have evil eye. He has evil ears. <laughs> so the gesture that they're doing uh, is actually pretty authentic, right? It, it's, not, um, it's not a, a trope, um, and so it's called um, it's called the mudza, and it's you put your hand out, palm facing outwards, and you spread all five fingers, right? Okay. And it's a sign of shame in the irish speaking countries, like when someone does something offensive to you, uh, hmm. it's to it's to shame somebody, right? Um, if you're warding off the evil eye, there's a certain amulet that you would wear, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of close, right? And so the um, the origin of this is uh criminals they used to parade them around town with ash smeared all over their face okay that was part a part of the way to humiliate them okay and to apply the ash you'd have to collect it in an open your open palm and so f- putting that palm in your face is very reminiscent of what you used to collect the ash in so it's that kind of like oh. you know I'm going to shame you like we used to shame criminals by Put, you know mimicking putting ash on your face well it's almost Holding like that
0: I, I that's amazing i didn't know that um please move those four stars back up to five thank you now <laughs> um <laughs> i will say we do get some people like loving us on facebook who say they love the the cultural references and the history so you're welcome everybody thanks jeff um uh but you once told us the the British insult of the two finger salute, like blowing a raspberry, which you see a lot on the show, where they instead of like putting like almost rabbit finger. ears with your fingers and your your thumb kind of like making a peace sign, you turn your hand so that your palm is facing you, and then you kind of go up like with the up gesture i right. uh, 'm doing it right now, but you can 't see me <laughs> um, and what Jeff taught us, which was so fascinating, is something about. French let me think French uh uh marksmen who were bow bow and arrow people something about if the British people caught you, I'm getting it wrong, but something like they would take they would take your two fingers off as punishment if they caught you at war, so as a way to kind of like stick it to the man whenever uh the the British soldiers would win in a fight or something, they would kind of like Show them, show the French people on the battlefield their two fingers, saying, "Look, I was never captured." Is that
1: right? Am I getting that right? You've got it mostly ah, right. Yeah. Okay. And so, and so, the the mudza it's not as offensive as the middle finger, definitely not, and it's probably not as offensive as the the V sign as the two finger salute. Yeah, it's probably just below the two finger salute because it's just like it, it's more like just shame and. Um, Warding off, you know, in the context here, warding, you know, off uh, someone that they don't want to get too close rather than provoking anger yeah. or spite.
0: And it's weird, too, especially like when the women all kind of like flock around Captain Peacock and start worshiping, worship. It felt like worship in a way when they were like yep. bowing down and like making weird like lady noises of some kind. Um, but I well, also... Th- what,
1: they, they, they were actually, they were actually doing... Um, they were actually doing a, uh, a greeting, right? They were actually doing a greeting to him. What they were saying was, Ya yeah, Allah? So, ya yeah, is, um, it's, it's called like the vocative um, um, case. It's what you say to get somebody's attention. Like, if I were to say, Hey, Brandon. Yeah. In, in Arabic, I would be like, Yeah, Brandon.
0: Okay, I would get, okay. Is that
1: like something to get someone's attention. And they were saying the name of God, Allah. And so it was like you know they were rejoicing that they had seen him. So it wasn't like they were making up nonsense words. Oh, they so were actually was, okay. saying so saying something. of
0: course, only you would actually catch that. So that's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, just the whole idea of
1: it. Just it was still it was still like some kind of idol
0: worship. Yeah, and it just like when they all stop and they all back up and then all hold their hand out, it just felt. It's almost like the writers and I, you know, it's 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 a comedy and they thought they were being very funny, but what they don't realize is that they're boiling down an entire culture, a mixture of cultures, as we've found out um, to like the most foreign things they could do in Britain, you know, which, yeah, you know, watch, yeah, watch a TV I, I show think... from the fifties when they have native Americans and all they do is talk about, or even today, how? how, and like the spirit. And like, even if you watch TV these days, anytime there's a native American on TV, suddenly there's a flute being played in the soundtrack. Like, that's gotta be really annoying, like Native American people are more than just random flute music being played wherever, but that's like to signify, look, it's something different, ooh, you know, which just
1: irks me, right, but again, this is one of those areas where they could have done a lot worse than themselves because in this bit the 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 middle eastern family they're not the the butt of the joke here, right this is this this is the setup to get. Uh, Rumble to put the kerchief on his head. Oh, it's it, my grandmother to a T again, right? <laughs> so.
0: So stupid, but so cute.
1: So we, so we find out that the emir is here because he wants his wives to wear trousers in the harem. I would find that very confusing. Mr. Humphreys <laughs> would find that very confusing. Right, <laughs> um, we find yeah. out that the emir has 72 wives and three on Fridays, Uh, Mr. Lucas Cripps, perhaps they're Roman Catholics, which I thought was hysterical.
0: It's so stupid but funny. Like, what does that even mean?
1: (laughs) You got this absurdist juxtaposition. Yeah. Well, I mean, because Catholics fast on Fridays. I know, but it's just like, okay. (laughs) So the emir wants to see some models um, modeling the trousers, which they don't have in the store, so... Peacock goes over Mrs. Slocum and Miss Brahms and they waddle over wearing their wedges, which they can't <laughs> walk in quite well. Yeah. What crime have they committed to wear these terrible things on their feet, right? The crime is um,
0: self-administered.
1: Self, uh, self-imposed. 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 Yes. <laughs> um, so they sit down on the floor to talk business and Granger needs help sitting down, but he certainly can't get up again to show the samples. So that's pretty funny, right? Lucas goes and gets them, and they start selling them, and Mr. Granger, without missing a beat, says, it, They keep out the fabric keeps out the sand, which I thought was pretty funny. It's that like they, they're actually, so good. <laughs> such good salesmen. It keeps out the sand. Yes, they've been tested at Margate, uh, which is a seaside town in Kent uh, to the east of London. Cute, so love it. Pretty funny, right? So the, the emir and his spokesman, uh, they test out the fabric, and the emir wants to buy a pair of this for the head wife. And so Mrs. Slocum goes to measure the head wife and they all panic, right?
0: What What's something else that drives, drove me crazy is that like he, when he tests the fabric, he puts it in his, between his teeth and like pulls on it with his teeth, which felt so, what's the word? Rude rudimentary, I guess. It just felt almost like they were trying to portray these people as barbarous. Do you know what I
1: mean? See, I, I didn't pick up on that because I, I, you know, one of the tropes in television to test if something is real, especially coins and money, is to bite on it. Right? Because if yeah. it's if it's not made out of a true metal, it'll bend. Or if it's, you know, a a, a chocolate covered Gelt coin, it'll you know, you'll be able to bite into it. Yeah. But um so I didn't I didn't see that as I didn't see that particular thing as barbarous, which in and of itself is a pretty offensive word. Um oh. but can be if it's with the wrong, um, with the wrong uh, intent, right? Because um, the, the whole idea of barbarian came from when people, when explorers and colonialists came to uh, northern Africa and heard people talking Arab, uh, heard, heard people talking um, the language that is now called Berber or was called Berber. Um, it just sounded like nonsense to them. It just sounded like they were going berber 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 and that's how they got. The name Berbers, and that's how they got the um, adjective barbarian. Duly noted. Yeah. So uh, it's probably in the same category as um, lame, I would say. Mm. Right. Anyway, so uh, the spokesman explains that man may touch man, but woman may not touch woman. Well, Mr. Humphreys wants to know, where do they say they came from again? Where do they say they came from again? Where exactly is that pub? It's like that whole thing, right? Right. Um, so they're trying to figure out how to take the measurements, and the spokesman selects and says, Mr. Humphreys can take the measurements. He's a safe bet that he's not going to get any... <laughs> any pleasure from being this close to a woman. I
0: love that scene because, like, the the guy walks by and he, like, kind of inspects Compton Peacock and he walks slowly by Mr. Granger. And then he kind of walks by Humphreys and kind of, like, circles him once or twice. And um, (laughs) there's something about Mr. Humphreys, apparently. Love it.
1: So... Uh, Humphreys comes up with a nice little Rube Goldberg trick in order to take the measurements. He gets the wife to stand inside the lift, close the lift doors, which measures her hips, right? And double that, and that's an approximation of her waist size, right? It's a little bit of a callback to that time where they had to measure the um, Scottish man's inside leg with the kilt. Oh, yeah, And they just you put the umbrella through it. Yeah. Um, but then they get into a little bit more trouble because now they have to measure the inside leg. So they get the wife to do the splits. They measure how long her, her reach is, cut it in half, and that's an inside
0: That line, was an right? impressive so. death drop that she didn't do, but she could have.
1: It was a, pre- it was a pretty impressive almost shablam. Because <laughs> she jumped in the air, spun, and then jumped into the split. Yeah. That's, that, yeah. that definitely would have allowed her to shantay and stay on... <laughs> Season twelve of uh, season thirteen of RuPaul's the straight people have no idea what's going on. So um, the the amount of the trousers is ten pounds, and so the emir tries to barter with them. First with a goat, and then with a rug, and finally with a wife. This is another thing that just really irks me. Yeah, you
0: know, like this.
1: This is this is the problematic. They're
0: so backwards. I won't use the word barbarous because I learned something today, and I'm admitting that I probably should have not used that word, and I'm making a change. This is what we should do in life. Um, It just seems backwards, you know, like especially. The, the writers are just really focusing on how different these people are. And then they come out and they, they're in like the metropolitan London. So let's assume this is near Piccadilly Circus, Grace Brothers, right? I mean, that's like the heart of London. And they've obviously flown on their jet or whatever to get there. So it's not like they don't know how to conduct themselves in the world. I mean, you know, they're worldly people just by even being in London and they're like oh we brought a goat we're going to see would you want a goat instead of a pair of trousers for instead of money it's just ridiculous i know i know it's a comedy but yeah. i also am very aware of like this is you know i'm thinking of like some some somebody in britain watching tv thinking what is this what these people would really do you know and and it's it's good that they had representation. I mean, how many times in 1976 did a British person see someone wear a hijab or, you know, speak Arabic on TV? Probably not very often. Right. But you also there's a bit of responsibility in there too, because if that is literally the only representation, um, everything that's conveyed is kind of dogma almost in a way, you know, like and that kind of goes to like the gay representation, kind of expanding it really quickly. And as, as a gay kid when I was younger, I was so uh, thrilled to pieces when I saw any gay portrayal on TV. And, you know, I'm 38. So, you know, back in the day when I was in my teenagers years, um, there were not a lot of positive representation. But it taught yep. me that, you know, I was happy to see anything, even if that person was a villain or if they died or if they you know, killed people or whatever. Um, so I'm very sensitive to... You know, portrayals that if like maybe the the Arabic speaking community or the Muslim community in Britain was super excited to see them, themselves portrayed on TV. But it's also you're like, oh, all of the stereotypes that you're giving and like, we don't pay for things with goats. I mean, that's ridiculous that right. it's double edged sword, you know, that representation. But then it's it's some white guy giving your culture
1: representation and his very skewed way of doing through his it. filter. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. So anyway. So one of the things that I always had a hard time reconciling is that if, these, if this family is so strict where woman may not touch woman, yeah. um, that how all of a sudden you're going to offer a wife in exchange for pants and the wife is allowed to do a belly dance, to disrobe and do a belly dance in public, right? I know, again, it's a comedy. It's here for the bit for a little we bit of entertainment. We realize we sound
0: ridiculous, people. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> but it's it's almost as as absurdist as uh, the writing on the show is sometimes, right? Yeah. So so she does the belly dance, and so belly dances, uh, again, th- keeping in what part of the world these people are really from. Um, those originated in Moorish Spain and in Turkey, right? So it wasn't really from the Arab Arabian Peninsula, completely wrong that part, of part, part of the, of the world, world. Yeah. right? Um, and today it's still done, uh, usually in gender, gender segregated events, right? So, uh, a woman will do a belly dance for other women. There usually won't be other men around because she'll be wearing a costume, she'll be wearing a costume very similar, uh, to this, um, It's definitely more popular in the less strict countries today, of Lebanon, Turkey, Morocco, and Egypt, as opposed to Saudi Arabia, where women just got the right to drive an automobile last year. Yeah, last year, yeah, two thousand nineteen. So, Mr. Lucas is mesmerized. Like I expect his eyes to bug out of his head (laughs) and him to start go humming, 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 humming any second now. It's like the first time he's ever seen a a woman uh, in, in scantily clad. Right. So, Mr. Lucas chimes in, I vote we chip in the 10 quid and keep her in the recreation room. That's so bad. So, the... the Amir has already objectified uh, this wife by trading her in his property for a pair of trousers, and Lucas goes to further that. Um, as superfan Jeff White pointed out in an email, um, you know, that does suit sex trafficking. Ugh, Did yeah, absolutely. On it, right? Yeah. So, uh, <sighs> whereas... T- And juxtaposed to that Mr. Humphrey's remark is oh I've got curtains in that color. Love it. (laughs) Remarking her her costume which is great. He's got
0: a lot of I think think the other Jeff thanks Jeff for your comments as always I think he said something like he's got a lot of great little one liners in this episode Mr. Humphrey's Um, I love the way he said um, which country did where what did he say Um, where did he say where did he say they came from but he says it in such a cute cadence like where did they say they came from? You know, like this cute little sing song, you know. I've got curtains in that color. So sweet.
1: (laughs) So the Amir is still trying to trade. Uh, He wants to trade his wife for Miss Brahms and the old one with the face like a lemon, which... (laughs) (laughs) What did he say, Captain Peacock? Oh, he's improving the offer, which was hysterical, (laughs) right? The
0: fact that she would, like, right then, like, ask. (laughs) Right.
1: Poor Mrs. Um, Slocum. Captain Peacock insists on money, and so they bring forward a suitcase filled with stacks of hundred-pound notes. The, obviously, these people are loaded with oil money, and it's uh, any money, any more money than any of them have ever seen. Right? right? And
0: obviously, they're they're too stupid to know how money works because they just give like fifty thousand pounds over to Captain Peacock, which again goes Ford back one to one pair of trousers. Yeah, which right. goes back to like the, the the portrayal of of this this whole group of people. It's annoying. Right.
1: So at that moment that they're exchanging the cash, the fire bell goes off for real that time. Rumbold comes back in, screaming fire. Everyone reacts, and they crash into everyone, and the cash goes flying everywhere. Of course. Right? So we're in a lot of a panic because everyone believes this is really the fire bell because it's what the fire bell sounds like. Miss Brahms is trying to get the till. Meanwhile, Mrs. Slocum is looking for her season ticket for the tube, right? Um, so today... Uh, let's say you had an annual two-zone ticket, and that would be able to get you from, say, Holland Park all the way over to Liverpool
0: Oh, Street. so I didn't realize she was looking for her season ticket for the tube. I don't think for the tube. She never yeah. said for the tube on the show, no, and I that, never understood that, what that meant. Okay, that's
1: what she was looking yeah, cause for. Yeah, because when right? you
0: when you don't have a car like in New York, and you have a, a monthly subway pass or whatever, you know, the subway pass it's what like two hundred and thirty bucks a month. It's a lot of money.
1: I haven't taken the subway in six months, so I have no oh, idea yeah. what well, it costs anymore. Well, that's what it used to be, anyway. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, okay, so today in London, a two-zone ticket, which would get you all the way from Holland Park to Liverpool Street, okay, um, is one thousand four hundred and forty-four pounds, which is nineteen hundred dollars. That's insane, right? So, assuming that there are two hundred twenty-five working days in the UK. Oh, wait a minute. Plus, let's say... That's not per month. That's per year. That's per year. That's annual, yeah. I thought that was per month. I'm like, that's insane. No, 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 (laughs) no. No, I'm I'm breaking down what it is, right? So if we assume that there are 225 working days in the UK, plus one weekend trip each week, that comes out to about 550 trips, or about £2.60 per trip. Whereas if you were to pay a cash one-way fare... Uh, it's £2.90, right? So you save a little bit of money. Okay. You know, how much would it have cost uh, in 1976? Probably £150. So uh, a little bit more than how much Mr. Humphrey spent on the lace for his canopy bed.
0: Priorities. So do people buy, like, a season... Annual ticket for the tube? Is that a thing you can P-
1: do? People, people still, it's still available. Wow. Yeah, you can buy it annually. That's crazy. Yeah. So no wonder she was my, looking for it. My Metro card for, for the New York subway, that was actually annual as well. Um, so I would get a card that was good for a year and they would take a certain amount out of my paycheck every month to replenish it. Huh. I didn't But it's not that. like the, mo- you could also get like a, mo- a monthly card where you get a new card every month and it lasts for 30 days, whereas mine was, like, on the calendar. Yeah, there are lots of different options that are anyway. Anyway, Granger is still trying to get the men's till. They literally have to carry the cash register out rather than just taking the drawer out, but... yeah, you know, Crazy. That's, you know, what do I know? Uh, meanwhile, Lucas goes for the cash in the suitcase, because that's where the real money is at, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, Captain Peacock is ushering the Arabs out, and he does a fireman's lift to carry out the belly dance. Of course. I... Uh, He's going to he's gonna get something chopped off because man may not touch woman, right? Right. So Humphreys and Lucas are counting out the cash, one for them and one for <laughs> us. One for them and one for us. It's so cute. One for and them then, and one for us. One for them. <laughs> and then the emir comes over and shows a dagger, puts a dagger in between them pointing towards the cash. And then they have a change of heart all for them and none for us I, it all makes of me the them and it's so cute it, it,
0: the fact that they're singing it while they're doing it with all this commotion in the background and they're on the, the the floor doing it 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 really made me think of vaudeville or like this must be a trope from like early days of comedy one for you and one for me one two for you and one for me you know you, i don't i don't know where it came from but like i we've definitely heard that in the zeitgeist of comedy before
1: so what this made me think of is um, a choosing device in kids' games. Like, have you ever done like eeny meeny Miney, Moe yeah, yeah. or Bubblegum, Bubblegum in a Dish? Something like that. There's something about the cadence and the sing-songiness of it that, uh, that, made me, that recalled that for me.
0: Now that I'm thinking, I'm wondering if there's like a Porky Pig or Looney Tunes or something. Or may, Oh, you know what? I bet it's Bugs Bunny because I'm thinking... He's got like a wad of cash, and he says one for you and two for me, two for you and uh, three yeah. for me, three for yes. you and four for me, right? And it's yes. like it's a way I, to kind of like trick little children or something. But there's a germ of yeah. a memory in there somewhere.
1: No, I recall that too. As you, as you, as maybe it was it. Lucas and Humphreys in my head from when I was a kid. Uh, why don't we head on down to the canteen for a tea break?
0: Okay, I heard they have Turkish delight. Uh, in the Ooh. in the canteen, so I might try a bit of rose watery Turkish delight. What are you going to get?
1: That is definitely the best flavor. No to pistachio. Hooray for rose water. I'll take um, your pistachios. I might, I might I might get a donor kebab. Oh, okay, well I'll have your pistachios, so that'll be good. Um,
0: okay, let's let us hop down to the canteen, and we'll be right back. Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous?
1: Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails
0: to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth.
1: Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own that does suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington Bear.
0: We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup.
1: And of course, t shirts.
0: But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear.
1: Support your favorite podcast with some That Does not Madam merch.
0: All at I'mFree.Threadless.com.
1: I'mFree.Threadless.com. And, and you've, you've all done, done, done very well. well. So thank you for eating all of the pistachio Turkish Delight because Delicious. that Calvin rash gave me too many. I asked specifically for the rose, and she gave me... Well,
0: you possessive. can't give her ammunition like that. You should know that by now, Jeff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, listeners, we are going to debut a new segment in uh, this episode. Ooh. Hopefully, it will stick. Um, and this new segment is called <laughs> We Are Unanimous, Unanimous in This. In this. <laughs>
0: ha. Yeah, so it's... Um, it's a cool little segment where we get to kind of talk about stuff we like about Britain. You know, like Jeff and I are Anglophiles, and we bet a lot of our listeners are too. So we're going to talk about stuff that's kind of unique to Britain that we've caught along the way. Some stuff that we really think is kind of cool, and maybe sometimes stuff that we think is kind of weird. So um, so today, um, what do we want to talk about our debut segment, Mr. Jeff?
1: So we are talking about eggs.
0: Well, that's a funny thing to talk about. Why are we talking about <laughs> eggs? Like infertility? What is
1: this? Like uh, family oh, planning? Oh, come on. Come on yeah, now. yeah, yeah, So there are a lot of egg dishes uh, that British, or in British cuisine that you are a big fan <gasps> of. That's right, because I don't think Jeffrey
0: appreciates the full ophra of um, culinary delights that is eggs. Do you see what I did there? I made an egg joke.
1: You did make a bilingual intro. Oh,
0: gosh. Um, So (laughs) I was lucky enough to stay in the UK for a good amount of months. And, you know, the thing about when you travel around the world, um, and Jeff, you know this all too well, um, when you go around to different countries of the world, the best way to kind of figure out how different the place is than where you call home is the food. And... um, You know, everyone talks about British food and, you know, historical, the joke is it's not good. Um, I actually found it delicious, delightful, and um, wonderful. Um, One of the things that I like the most about British food was some of the most simple food I think I've ever had. But, I don't know, maybe Mm. American food is sort of like we think of hamburgers and french fries, which is cool and all. But, like, when you go over to Britain, the eggs over there, they just taste... Different, and it's really hard for me to put into words. I want to say they taste fresher, but like, what does that mean? You know, um, I well,
1: don't know Well, it's why. probably because it's probably because they are fresher, right? Because anyone who's traveled abroad and has been to a supermarket abroad um, has probably had that little bit of shock when they see eggs on the shelf and not being refrigerated. I um, didn't know which but... way to turn, which is unusual <laughs> for me. Um, but of course, it's perfectly legit and hygienic, right? Because, um, in our country, we have a very different approach to farming where we try and cram as many chickens into, um, a coop as possible. And, And in addition, so there's, you know, the the eggs get um, very dirty during their their farming and harvesting. But also the Food and Drug Administration in the States requires that the natural waxy shell of an egg that is there when the hen lays it, um, it's required to be washed off. And so that is what protects the inside of the egg from the outside environment. And so because in the States we wash that shell off, eggs then have to be refrigerated. But in the rest of the world, like literally everywhere else <laughs> but the United States, we're number one. Um, we're number. They one. don't. They They don't. They don't scrub. They don't remove that waxy layer, and so eggs hold up and are shelf stable for a period of time. Huh. So I wouldn't doubt that it changes um, how they taste. And now I'm starting to think: should I try eating eggs the next time that I'm abroad? Because Maybe it's that um, refrigeration that makes the taste that I don't like.
0: Yeah, I will say, um, you know, I, I will cook the odd, you know, fried egg or whatever for, like, breakfast on the weekend. And it's sort of like, ah, eh, it's all right. I put lots of, like, salt, pepper, and sriracha on it, so it tastes pretty good. But over there, um, man, like, <laughs> there's, a, there's a a really kind of, I'm trying to think of, like, the American version. Like, what's a meal that you would make if you had, like, five bucks and you knew you had to go to the grocery store to buy food to last, like, three days. Like, grilled cheese sandwich, maybe? Like, something really, really cheap, and... F- Rice and beans, probably.
1: Yeah, I mean... But that's that's not American. That's really borrowed.
0: Yeah, I'm just trying to, like, maybe... I, I guess grilled cheese comes to mind. But, like, over yeah. in Britain, like, the idea of having a really cheap meal is egg and chips. So yeah. chips is, like, steak fries. We would say French fries, but, like chunkier like you have a couple of potatoes you chop them up and you fry them um and then you have an egg and this the idea of having like a dinner of like two eggs and french fries in the states just doesn't it's not it's not a it's not an american thing because we would rather just have it's
1: not a hamburger it's not a, yeah it's not an american example of a struggle meal at all like it's not the idea of even breakfast for dinner yeah. it's but you know it's just not not not, not a combination that we put together but over there
0: um, Because of the eggs being different. Like, so as Jeff was saying, like, we have factory farming for chickens. So I'll spare you the details, but chickens are in little tiny cages on top of each other. Right? So it's like a condo of chickens, like a condo building. So the top chicken does what chickens do, and then that lands on the chicken beneath that one. And the eggs as well that that chicken has laid, and then all of the stuff from the very top two lands on the one below. So it's like six or seven layers of chicken. So the eggs get kind of dirty, and that's all I'll say. Right?
1: So well, thank you for sparing you're us the very details. Well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. So then they have to like pressure wash all the eggs to get like this natural coating off of it, which is what keeps E. Coli out of all the eggs. Um, but in Britain, they have a law where you can have kit chickens in cages, but only one layer. And most people in Britain, they really are worried about animal welfare, so they want all of their chickens and stuff to be like free range. So you will actually will pay a pound extra to have free range chickens,
1: um, eggs, and you know. Well, food safe, food safety in general as well. I mean, one of the one like of the Macau big contention points. Right? One of the big yeah bad cow especially yeah. but one of the big contention points about the Brexit vote was that um, a, if they weren't going to be trading food with the EU as much if they'd be getting more of their food from the US um, they they wouldn't want to get the chickens from us because the chicken that we um, we export for food for chicken meat. It's chlorinated. It's treated with chlorine for safety. Ooh, I didn't know. And that. that's that's not done in Britain. So
0: yeah, so it's just a different yeah. being over there. You know, you know, you walk in, like you said, walk in into Sainsbury's or Tesco or something. Waitros, Waitrose, waitrose, waitrose excuse me, bougie. Um, yeah, but like it's just weird. Like I, I remember I was in Lima, Peru, and there were like eggs not being refrigerated. I'm like, oh my god, you're all gonna die of E. Coli. No, but anyway, so if you're ever in Britain and you have an opportunity to have eggs, it sounds like from American perspective, like, why would you just want eggs? They taste so much better, and it's it's, it's almost like saying it, like if you're having a watermelon, it tastes more watermelony like there's no way you could describe it except that way. They just taste eggier, and the the yolk is like the color of a sunrise instead of mm. like this weird grayish, yellowy thing and. Um, it's really good. So I just, I I love the eggs over there, but I will say if you do see like a farm that they have like a farmer Joe on the side of the street, street, you know, with a little stand or something and you get like farm fresh eggs that were laid like a couple of days late, days ago, those would probably taste probably what a British egg would taste like because it's not been... Factory farmed, it's not been like pressure washed. It does. The thing is, when you have an American egg that's cold, when you cook it, it has to get from the cold refrigerator temperature to eating temperature really quickly. But the eggs in Britain are already room temperature, so they kind of cook
1: differently because of that temperature difference. Yep, a little bit of chemistry there. A little bit chemistry. and if you also get those eggs from the farm stand, you could also, confi- uh, you could also combine them with some real cream and real costa sugar to make real pudding.
0: Or uh, if your library is closed, you can just read the packet in your pantry and get, make sure it has monosodium glutamate <laughs> and artificial mm-hmm.
1: starch and flavoring. So that was We Are Unanimous in this, and every week we're going to try and talk about a TV show or food or place or just something about British culture. So let us know uh, what you think, and if um, you want us to talk about anything specific, we'll get there. And maybe the Egg
0: Council of America will either (laughs) sponsor or boycott (laughs) our show. I don't really know which one they would do. So there we go. But what are we talking about otherwise, Mr. Jeff?
1: So back to the episode, it's the end of the day and Mr. Rumble calls a meeting um, to talk about the fire drill. And Mrs. Slocum hopes that it isn't going to take long um, because Mrs. Axelby and her are going to the ice ring tonight. So this is the second mention so far we get of Mrs. Axelby. Okay. Um, We only met her last year in the Wedding Bells episode because uh, they had gone to the over-25s night at the Pally. Over-25s, like maybe over... Forty-five, over forty-five. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we start to get a little bit of a ramp up of Missiles Axleby. I think there, there's a little bit of a stretch where we get one Missiles Axleby joke per episode yeah, yeah. coming up. So she's going to be coming a more frequent reference. We never meet
0: Mrs. Axleby, though, do we? We do not. Maybe no. she could be one of the killers in the Clue game, because we never know what she looks like. Ooh, I
1: know. That's interesting. and
0: her and her card would like her face would be all obscured in a shadow.
1: There's a big question mark. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, turns out that Mr. Humphreys uh, also doesn't want the meeting to take long because he's got a friend dancing in Swan Lake. It's a she.
0: <laughs>
1: right. I love that. And when she's not looking, I pinch a feather out of her tail because I'm restuffing a cushion. Of course. You know <laughs>
0: why would you not? Oops, Gladys, hush up. Why would you um, not? Stuff a cushion by stealing feathers out of your friends. One at a time. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would do.
1: <laughs> so that's so sweet. I love it. So Mr. Rumble lets us know that the practice fire was a complete shambles. Ugh. So there is a relatively new word that's entered the British lexicon since the 2015 election. Oh, okay. Which is shambolic, which is the adjectival form of shambles. I'm you meaning chaotic. Now, the word's been a, it's been a word for a longer time, but it's become repopularized in the past five years. just so I
0: understand, so you're saying the 2015 election, which is when they voted for Brexit. Right. It it was so chaotic and a shambles that the British newspaper industry invented a word or made popular a word shambolic because they needed another, a better word. To describe the state of affairs in Britain after that election, is that right?
1: They they needed an adjectival form of shambles. So it's yeah, so sh- turned to shambles. I'm thinking this is a
0: harbinger for times to come in our country. We need to get it. We need to figure out what our word's going to be. That uh, Trumpian. I don't know what they would just say. Like what word? What, would what is
1: the agi- What is the adjectival form of clusterfuck? Because I think that's <laughs> that's the most accurate. Fuckerific. we have
0: an explicit tab we might fuck we can just say whatever we want now um
1: that's a good one cluster fuckery oh maybe is cluster fuck already no cluster fuck is already a noun but I feel like you could reduplicate the noun by calling it cluster fuckery
0: I'm gonna really I'm gonna like before I go to sleep tonight uh, when I put my head on my pillow I'm gonna think about this question this is an important thing we need to figure out but that's insane about um shambolic yeah, that's crazy. And might I say, that's the most British thing I've ever heard. <laughs> they had to invent the word, bring up a new word because, like, we need to better describe the way things are going right now.
1: Right. <laughs> so Mr. Rumbold is doing an emergency fire safety refresher course. Um, he starts to describe the fireman's lift, which Captain Peacock has already demonstrated when he picked up the belly dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, good point. And is—that's a,
0: that's a nice little uh, little thing you just Callback, got there
1: yeah, yeah okay um and mr granger is asleep like i i think that he is f- so used to falling asleep on the train ride home oh, all the way yeah. down to the south of london that he takes his nap at 6 p.m every day <laughs> whether he's so working whenever they have not. one of these yeah. whenever they have one of these after hours meetings he falls asleep right so Humphreys wakes him up, and they decide that Mr. Humphreys is going to play the victim, and he faints. He puts on a very grand performance. I just I love how— Getting into character. Yeah, I love how Humphreys— He's going to get into character. Yeah, I
0: love how Humphreys says, Mr. Mr. Granger, are you free if I fire? <laughs> <laughs>
1: He's like, I'm free what size? You know, so cute. <laughs> love it. So Humphreys has to ask, well, am I overcome by smoke or fumes, right? Which is it, so we can get into character. He faints and they all give him yeah, a very it was polite so good. Clap, I think right?
0: the audience was, like, impressed with uh, John Inman. Like, that's, yeah. that's impressive.
1: He almost did that shablam almost as well as the belly dancer, Dad.
0: <laughs> I bet he'd do a better yeah. job belly dancing, frankly.
1: So uh, Mrs. Slocum is encouraging him. Can we get on with that? I can't bear the thought of my pussy with a tin opener in its mouth. Poor tittles. So. Pretty funny, right? (laughs) Um, So Peacock gets on the floor, lays next to Humphreys, and tries to uh, pick him up from the prone position, but ends up with Peacock rolling underneath him, Mm -hmm. which looks very, very suggestive. And Mr.
0: Humphreys looks Uh, like the cat who caught the cream.
1: Right. I think we're doing very well
0: here. I thought we were doing very well. Yeah, so sweet. (laughs) Uh,
1: Until (laughs) Mr. Harmon comes by and picks him up straight away, uh very expertly done and gives him a little pay- playful smack on the butt. You wait until you're asked, which I thought was funny because <laughs> Mr. Harmon like took a like, wait, what? And because he, he's new. Yeah, he's relatively new. So he doesn't really know everyone yet. So he might not have cottoned on. But m-
0: that guy, he just picked Humphreys up like he was a rag doll. Like, yeah. it is, was he ripped under that trench coat or something? Gosh,
1: Probably, yeah. Oh. So, Mr. Lucas tries to rescue Mrs. Slocum from the seated position, <laughs> and she ends up taking the chair with her.
0: No, you can't describe it like that.
1: You have to describe it
0: better. Oh, my God. I was cackling, <laughs> cackling. You
1: still are. How would you describe it? <laughs> I you describe think I can.
0: Um, uh, <laughs> I'm all hot and, like, red now. Um, so, okay, so it, let's back up. <laughs> Mr. Rumbold says, Mrs. Slocum, why don't you play the victim? And then she says, I'm not getting on the mucky flower. So then she, of course, is queen. So she says, Miss Brahms, go fetch me a chair. So when when she said, fetch me a chair, it all came back to me. So I was already laughing when she does that. (laughs) So then he says, Mr. Lucas, why don't you play, why don't you rescue Mrs. Slocum? And then the camera shoots to Mr. Lucas and he has the most spiteful little boy who doesn't want to do this homework look. He's got a smell under his nose. Like he's. Yeah. yeah, And he's he's got his his, his arms folded and he's just like, I don't want to, I'm not going to do it. And then he says, is that an order? Yes. So then he just starts to walk
1: over to his. He marches over, Ah! like stomps over. And she's sitting there like a
0: little kitty cat perched on her little tuffet or something.
1: And she, and this is
0: what I, I'm surprised um, he didn't break his back because he like cantilevers his, his back over at a 90 degree angle. Good verb. Thank you. And just like puts one arm underneath her two legs and the other arm up over her shoulder and just lifts the whole dead weight with the chair that she's sitting in. <laughs> and this poor man, like the actor, looks like he's about to drop Molly Sugden. I mean, he's, like, playing it up because he's kind of, like, making his feet go wobbly and stuff. And, like, you see Mr. Harmon, like, try to, like, make sure he doesn't drop her. And I'm thinking, like, he could have dropped
1: her. Well, here's the thing. This is what I was trying to pay attention to. Um, Was that really Molly Sugden in the entire shot? Or did they substitute her in with a dummy? If you think about that episode of the Golden Girls where they had the dance marathon... And Rose does the solo, and she does all these like gymnastic somersault moves, but yeah. it's clearly a stunt double, right? Um, because you see, like her foot flexing a little bit, but the character is not like screaming, "Put me down, put me down!" And I don't think her uh, mouth was moving either, so I wasn't sure if like they did some kind <laughs> of like quick I don't know. editing. I mean, it's 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 possible. I. I
0: that idea never entered my brain. I will say that. Um, I remember thinking, you know, there's a couple of scenes in the show, like especially the Christmas episode, Christmas crackers, when they're all dressed up in costume and Mr. Lucas is dressed as a pirate, a one-legged pirate, and he's going down the stairs and he almost falls down the stairs, but he doesn't and he kind of catches himself and he continues the scene. Um, I think this might be another example where Molly Sugden, like, I think she was picked up and, of course, you see her bloomers, and it's all very funny. But to see um, um, Mr. Lucas's actor, what's his name? Trevor Bannister. Trevor Bannister. I'm so bad. Um, to see Trevor Bannister, like, pick her up. I mean, she's probably, I don't know, 160 pounds, whatever she is.
1: That's a lot of, you know, It's, it's
0: 120 it's not, it's pounds. Not, That's a lot of, you know, whatever it is. Right. It's um, not
1: Mr. Humphrey's, like, a ragdoll.
0: Yeah, yeah, but um, I mean, even if she was like a very skinny woman, it was still a lot of money, a lot of um, money, plus a the lot of weights, plus the chair, plus the chair. Yeah, and it and it was just that's kind of what made it. I think the audience watching it in live, seeing this woman being picked up, and I really and if you notice like Mr. Hummer does kind of come up from behind him and kind of help steady her. Um, I don't know. It just seems like. That show, maybe the times as well, you just did it, and you hoped you got it on the first take, and you just hope you didn't fall and drop somebody? I don't know. Like, I don't think that would happen today. No way.
1: Right? I, well, I think I think that, you know, there would be a safety meeting. There would be an OSHA representative there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there would be stunt doubles who were trained, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, physical comedy was big in the 70s, and... We're, usually we rely on a lot of sight gags, but this is one of the really good physical comedy bits that we get with, yeah. um, you know, in the entire series. So. It's so
0: cute, so funny. And then, of course, he says, what do I do with her now <laughs> when she's up <laughs> on his shoulders? And, and they say, put her down. <laughs> it's so stupid. Like, pick her up. Uh, okay, he did. Well, now what do I do? Put her down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Mr. Rumble decides uh, that's enough of the practicing the fireman's lift, and he calls Harmon to bring out the dummy to practice mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. And if you they bring out Myrtle, the uh, Myrtle. resuscitation dummy, and if you've done it correctly, the feet will light up. And so mm-hmm. they pass around these paper lips, the disposable hygienic lips. Oh, Santicist, the sponsor, sponsor, you mean. The, sp- the Thank so you, So practice, right? So um, did you learn CPR when you were at school? Oh, God.
0: Um, I think I did. I wouldn't trust it to save anyone's life, but it's one of those things that I once saw a guy in a park in lower Manhattan save another person's life. Because she was eating lunch and she started choking on her chicken or something. Mm. And a guy, like a stockbroker day trader guy with a suit, walked by and everyone kind of noticed that she was choking and she was doing that gesture like, I can't breathe. Freaked out. I I was completely freaked out. I thought, I'm going to see this woman die right in front of my eyes. And this guy walked up to her and he was very confident and he said, you're okay. I know CPR. I'm going to help you. Everything's going to be okay. Okay. He put his hand on her back and kind of, like, rubbed her back, and he knew that he had to calm her down, and that's exactly what he did, and he did this quick little boop, you know, put his hand behind around her and get a boop, and um, completely fine, and everyone clapped, so it, it kind of made me want to, like, go take a test, yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know Yeah, I, I, do I never learned the CPR or the Link Maneuver in school or at a, a first aid course, but I remember very special episodes of television shows <laughs> that taught you how to <laughs> do it. Where we that, learn right? everything. Right. So I, I had in my brain, the first thought that I had about where I learned about first aid was on different strokes, right? I thought it was the episode where Pearl who is the housekeeper after Charlotte Ray. Um, she went into epileptics. She started an epileptic seizure, right? That's what I okay. thought. It, that's the association I have. Um, it turns out that that wasn't the episode at all, right? There was an episode where Arnold got an electric shock and Willis had bragged to everybody that he knew CPR, but it turns out he lied. But the obvious answer, I think, where I really must have learned it from is that episode of Punky Brewster where Cherry head in the freezer in the refrigerator when they were playing hide and seek. I must have missed that one. This might be one of those cultural moments in our tiny age gap. I'm very young, you see audience. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um so Peacock tries to um, give mouth to mouth to Myrtle, and they start cheering him on. Uh, and so they're, they're convinced that he's not getting enough air, so they all start going, Ah-da! ah Great. Until finally the mannequins breast inflate. And so, all right, I think you... Okay, ha, ha, hard, ha. So. Yeah. so they move on to the escape chute, right, which is this canvas... Um, a chute that they will throw out of the window and let it release to the ground in case there's a fire. So they're, they're over at the escape chute, and Mrs. Slocum is, is um, reacting, like, oh, do, should I get one of these for my house? Well, no, because at the first sign of smoke, my pussy rushes into the garden and sits on a concrete tortoise in the goldfish bowl. Um, second pussy joke in the same episode uh, within a span of five minutes, and also kind of cheap. Yeah, I think the writers are getting a little lazy with these jokes here.
0: Well, you know, they know that they say the word pussy and everyone laughs. Um, I, I thought it was weird that she had to de- describe that he goes to this t- concrete tortoise and, and stands on top of it in the goldfish pond. I thought like, right. okay, that's very specific, but all right. You yeah.
1: know, Tiddles does what so, she does. Rumble says that this is the last exercise, and once everyone has a go, they can go home. So Slocum says begs me go first because she wants to get out of there and attend to her cat.
0: Bags me go first. That means I get to go first. Yeah, it's like
1: calling dibs or calling shotgun if you're in a car. Dibs, bags. Okay, there we go. Um, So she goes in feet first, and as she's there, the fireball goes off again. And meanwhile, Uh she's caught up at the bottom of the slide. Miss Brom sees smoke coming out of the gentleman's fitting room, and it's a real fire, right? Out of nowhere comes a Scottish fireman, uh, and he's explaining to them that they've got to evacuate. They've got to get out of here. What's going on here? So he goes into the escape chute to rescue Mrs. Slocum. Mr. Humphrey stays back to help him. And then the fire chief comes out and is yelling again at everyone to evacuate. Humphrey starts to faint, at which point the fire chief grabs him in a fireman's lift, rescues him, and brings him out the, uh, out the evacuation. Yay! And that's you know, the end Mr. Of our Hump is just
0: waiting for a, a strong fireman to come and rescue him to every time he his, up.
1: To come to his rescue. Oh yes. Yeah. So, Mr. Brandon, what are we going to talk about next week? <gasps> okay. You know how
0: I giggle sometimes on the episodes? Every time. <laughs> if it has to do with Mrs. Slocum being drunk, being lifted above her her, her, her weight. Um, basically, that's it. Um, So this is a very important episode in Are You Being Served lore. Um, If you ever have had a friend who loves Are You Being Served and it's their birthday, (laughs) what is the song that you sing to them? Happy birthday, dear. uh, Uh, uh. (laughs) Or Elizabeth Rachel, Yokel, Slocum. Uh, This is the episode 50 years on where Mrs. Slocum gets that fantastic birthday cake that, quote, represents her personality based on what (laughs) we were told as a pair of knickers with like electric candle lights that says 50 on it. 50, I'm 46. And then she walks away. That is what we're doing next week, people. So exciting. I hope that answered the question. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's a really great show Um, So stay tuned for that So um, that's the show, uh, Mr. Jeff Um, And if you folks want to get in contact with us, like we always say Go to our Facebook page, which I have to say I posted um, in Ford Mr. Granger We shared that I own the Holy Relic um, The ashtray from Mr. (laughs) Rumbold's desk and I posted that on uh, our Facebook page and I shared it in a couple of Facebook groups for You being served. And it's gone like wildfire. So that's crazy. I might have to buy more loot from the show just for that. Um, anyway, so go find us on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Um, we have an email. That does suit madam. That's with an E at Gmail. And um, we have the Peacock hotline. We've been getting some lovely um, messages from our people. And of course, that is Peacock. Six six
1: two seven three two two six two five. So that's it, Mr. Jeff. So thank you very much, listeners. And remember, you've, you've all, all done, done, done very well. well.
0: That Does Suit Madam is not
1: endorsed by the BBC, and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are You Being Served is a copyrighted program of the BBC. Keep away from fire or flame.